One of the probably more fundamental questions that everyone, every human being wrestles with from time to time in life is uh, just the simple question of, who am I? Elementary, grade school kids ask that question of themselves, who am I? Uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers, they end up asking them that selves, themselves that question, you know, who in the world am I as they face peer pressure and as their world around them changes? College kids ask themselves that question as they're trying to figure out, you know, what courses should they take and what career path should they head down? You know, just who am I and, and where is this all going? Some, some people, uh, kind of towards the middle of life, you know, they start asking themselves and their spouse starts asking and their kids start asking and their neighbors start asking and the dog starts asking, who in the world are you? As they face kind of that middle life crisis um, that sometimes people face. And even beyond middle, the middle of life, um, even into the later years of life, many of us continue to ask that question of just simply, who am I? Because so much in our lives changes. So much of our existence and, and so much around us is, is continually changing that at times it can be confusing to us and, and we can really struggle with that question of just who, who am I? And, and what's going on? And I, I read an author who I thought wrote it well as he was talking about this struggle that every human being faces and he wrote about it this way. He said, the reason that we struggle with the question of who am I is because there are many me's that I wrestle with. There is the me that I pretend to be, there's the me that I want to be, the me I think I should be, the me others want me to be, the me I am afraid God wants me to be, the me that fails to be. How many of you can relate with what that author is saying about what goes on inside of you on a regular basis. All of us have a struggle in life, and that struggle has to do with ourselves and what's going on inside of us. All of us have a struggle that at times in our lives, we end up asking ourselves questions such as, I, you know, I can't believe I just did or I wish I would have done, I, I could have done this, or I could not have done this, I wish I would have done this, and I wish I wouldn't have done this, I wish that I would do this more often in my life, I wish I would do this a whole lot less in my life, in fact, I wish I would never do this again in my life. And all of us, we have this struggle that goes on inside of us, and the struggle is with us. It's a struggle where we do things we don't understand why we're doing those things. And it's a struggle where we don't do things that we know that we probably should be doing those things. And so we have this struggle that is constantly going on inside of all of us. And the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest missionary, that's Christian missionary there has ever been, man who wrote about half of the entire New Testament, is also a man who has this same struggle. And today, in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul, he's really, in a very personal way, if you've never read these words before, if you've never heard these words before from Romans chapter 7, I think it's going to kind of shock you to hear the Apostle Paul, remember again, greatest Christian missionary, author of half the New Testament, as Paul describes and Paul shares with us what is going on behind the curtain of his very own heart. 
And you're going to see that Paul, just like us, has the same struggle to do certain things and to not do other things. The same struggle that you and I all face every day of our lives. Now, in order to maybe help us understand that a little bit better, I want to use a visual aid up here and just going to talk about this for a little bit. Can anyone take a guess for me or help me out? What piece of playground equipment does this contraption up here represent? Anybody? Okay, a sea saucer or a teeter-totter. Um, teeter-totter, that was what it was when I was growing up. I can vividly remember um, them at my school. Um, interestingly enough, um, will you ever find one of these at a playground today? No, one word, liability. Let me explain. <laughs> a teeter-totter was a great invention And it's based upon basically three core elements or three key principles that make a teeter-totter work. The first principle is called the inverse relationship principle. What that simply means is that on a teeter-totter, there are two opposing forces. There's a force on this end and a force on this end, and they are inverted to each other. Which means that if this side over here goes down, the opposite side will correspondingly go up the same degree. And if this side goes down, then this side will go up. They are in an inverse relationship to each other. It takes two forces and that they are opposed, basically, to one another and they work together. Now, if you put two kids on here that both weigh 80 pounds, you have a nicely working inverted relationship, inverse relationship. Now, as a kid, if you're on there with another 80-pound kid, is that fun? Right? I mean, it, it's fun. If there's two 80-pound kids that are on there, not 80 years old, 80-pound kids that are on there, and going back and forth, that's fun for the two kids on there. Is it fun? Is this a spectator sport? Right? Nobody, nobody like, sits back and they're like, whoa, you're on the teeter-totter. You know, that's not that fun. <laughs> However, if you put a big guy and a little guy on a teeter-totter, You now have a spectator sport. (laughs) In case you're wondering, I was a little guy growing up. And I can vividly remember being on this end as the big guy got on this end and not just going up in the air, but going off of the teeter-totter. So now, you know, when you have an inverted relationship like that, when one side is dominating the other side, um, you not only have an an inverse relationship between the two sides, then you get to the second kind of core element of a teeter-totter, and that is the principle of grounded. And what grounded simply means is that one side is stuck on the ground. If the force on one side is much larger than the force on the other side, that side is going to be stuck on the ground. It will be grounded. And it doesn't matter how much the little guy wants to get down on the ground, It doesn't matter how much they jump and how much they push and how much they do anything. If the force on the opposite side is too big, that side will be grounded. And in an inverse relationship, if one side is grounded, the other side cannot be. And they're stuck in this position, okay? Now, the third principle, I'm going to save to the end because I want you to pay attention, and the third principle really gets at what we're trying to talk about today in Romans chapter 7. But two principles, there's an inverse relationship, and when one side is bigger than the other side, it will become grounded, okay? And that's exactly, I think, what Paul is going to be talking about in Romans chapter 7. Now, 
In the verses leading up to verse 15, Paul is going to tell us what the two opposing forces are that he's talking about. And the two opposing forces in this inverse relationship that Paul talks about are sin and me. And Paul is going to say that inside every single human being, there is an inverse relationship between these two forces. There is the me that God has created me to be. Through faith, the me that God has now brought to faith, and as a child of God, there's that part of me that's going on inside of me. And Paul is also going to say that there is another force inside of us, and that force is sin. Now, sin inside of us would like to deceive us and get us to think that the opposing forces in this this illustration here, it's not me and sin, but sin would like to deceive us and think that the opposing forces in this situation is there's me and sin, we're on this side, we're on the same team, and there's God on this side. And sin tries to deceive us to think that the battle that goes on inside of each of us is between us and our sinful nature and against God. And what Paul is going to do for us today, which is very important for us to remember and for us to know, is that the battle is not between me and God. The battle is between God and me and our sinful nature. And that this is the battle that goes on, this is the struggle that goes on inside all of us. Now, this struggle is inevitable inside of every single person on the face of the earth. This struggle is inevitable. It happens to everyone. But it's not hopeless. And we're not helpless in this battle against sin. And that's where Paul's going to take us today as we talk about the relationship between who God has made us and the sin that is still inside of us. So Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 15, Apostle Paul say it again, greatest Christian missionary, author of half the New Testament, has this to say about himself. Verse 15. I, Paul, do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. What Paul is saying is, look, I look at my life and I'm I'm doing things that I know I don't want to do. And I'm not doing certain things that I know I should be doing. And I look at my life and I'm confused. I'm perplexed. Paul is saying that he puzzles himself as he looks at what's going on inside of him and what's going on on the outside of him. When kids do this, right? When kids do something that they know they're not supposed to do, what do we say to them? Right? Didn't you know that you weren't supposed to do that? And kids reply... Oh, I, yeah, you're right. I, I did know that. And so we reply, then we say back to them, well, why did you do it? And kids reply, I don't know. Right? Now, as adults, we still do foolish things and, and things that we, we shouldn't do. And, but as adults, nobody's real quick to come up to us and go, well, why did you do that? But if they did, I think many times our response would be the same as kids. Why did you do that? I don't know. Didn't you know that that was going to hurt your wife's feelings? Yeah. Then why did you do that? I don't know. Didn't you know that that was going to make your kids upset? Yeah. Then why did you do that? 
I don't know. Didn't you know that that would get you fired? You can't steal from the company. Didn't you know that that was going to get you fired? Yeah, I did know that. Then why did you do it? I don't know. And there's this struggle that goes on inside all of us because we know that there are things that we're supposed to do and we don't do them. And we know that there are things that we shouldn't do and we still end up doing those things. And we look at our lives and we know that struggle goes on. And if I were to ask you or you were to ask me, well, why do you do that? I would shake my fists and go, I don't know. I don't understand myself. As I look at this struggle that's going on inside of me, behind the curtain of my own heart. And Paul says, as he looks at this struggle in his life, I don't get it. I don't understand myself as I look at this struggle that is inevitable inside of everyone. I just don't understand. Paul goes on in verse 16 and he says, And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. What Paul is saying there is that if, if I do what I don't want to do, I realize that there's something that I shouldn't do. You know why I realize that? It's because God said that I shouldn't do those things. I recognize that what God says is good and right and that I shouldn't want to do those things. I get it, but I can't do it. I understand what God says in his law. I understand that. You don't have to tell me that again. I understand that I shouldn't do these things but I still do them. This struggle that we all have going on inside of us, the answer to this struggle is not more information. The answer to this struggle is not let's read a book and then we'll kind of grow out of this thing. We'll be able to stop this struggle from going on inside of us. The answer to this struggle is not let's go to church more often. The answer to this struggle is not let's pray some more. This struggle is inevitable inside of all of us, and it will be throughout our entire lives. I know that's not very encouraging, but the struggle inside all of us is inevitable throughout all of life. But it's not a hopeless situation. All right, verse 17, Paul continues, and he says, As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. You know what Paul is just saying there? He's saying, look, here's the inverse relationship that's going on inside of me. It's between me, who God has called me to be through faith. It's the me inside of me, and it is sin in my life. That this sin factor is just it's a part of who I am. It's always there, and it's always going to be there. As long as I exist, this part of me is going to be here. And so I'm always going to have to deal with the sin factor in my life. We can never really understand ourselves until we accept the fact that sin is a part of our lives. We cannot really understand ourselves until we admit that sin is a powerful force in our lives every day. Paul says we just got to know that about ourselves. Verse 18 he says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. My sinful nature is devoid of anything that we could call good. There is nothing good that can come out of this sinful nature, which is inside of me and continues to war against what God has called me to be. So I know that there is nothing good 
that lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I have the desire, I want to do what God wants me to do. I try to do what God wants me to do. I try harder to do what God wants me to do. And sin, living inside of me, in me, continues to be a powerful force that is inside of me. And Paul says, we've just got to understand that about ourselves, that it's there, that it's powerful, that it is right there. Every time we want to do good, sin is right there. Now, what is Paul saying in the fact that we have a desire to do what's good? I mean, think about that. That's, that. that's not all bad. The fact that we have a desire to do what God wants us to do means that God is living inside of us. The desire that you have to do what God wants you to do and the desire that you have to not do what God doesn't want you to do, you know what that's evidence of? The fact that God is living inside of you. The fact that God is present in your heart. And so while this is a struggle for all of us, the fact that we have the desire to do it is a good thing. Because it is evidence of the fact that God is inside us. So Paul says, I want to do it. I have the desire to do it. But I can't carry it out. Verse 19, he goes on. He says, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. I keep, I, I keep having the desire and I keep failing. Now this is, this is kind of hard for us. Because sometimes we like to think, and sometimes sin tricks us into thinking, that if we're really Christians, we wouldn't do that anymore. That if we're really Christians, that we wouldn't have this struggle with sin anymore. And that we sometimes look at our lives, and we look at the fact that sin is in our lives, we look at the fact that we fail again and again and again, and we can be tempted to think, well, man, am am I really a Christian? Does God really live inside of me? And what Paul is saying is that don't look at the struggle to see if you really are a Christian or not. The desire is there, and God lives inside of you. Martin Luther, today we're kind of celebrating the Reformation, and so Martin Luther, um, he talked about this struggle in life, because he had the same struggle that we do. Martin Luther talked about it in this way, and he used a Latin phrase, and the phrase is, simul justus et peccator. Latin phrase that simply means, simultaneously, at the same time, I am a sinner... And I am a saint. I am right with God. At the same time, at the exact same time, we have sin living inside of us, and at the same time, we have who God calls us to be. At the same time. And Paul says, I still don't always understand it, but at least I know the struggle that is going on inside of me. Verse 20, Paul continues, he says, Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. There's a distinction between me and sin because it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. That's the relationship. Okay, verse 21. So I find this law or this principle at work. When I want to do good, when I have the desire to do good, evil is right there with me. It's always right there with me. For in my inner being, now Paul's talking about that's the faith part of us, in our minds, in our inner being, I delight in God's law. I know that it's good. 
But I see another law, another principle at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within the members of my body. What Paul is saying is that this force of sin in our lives is so powerful that on a regular basis inside of Paul, this force is making this force a prisoner. That on a regular basis, this force is getting the upper hand against this force in his life. And Paul is saying, I don't understand it, and I don't like it. But that's the relationship that's going on inside of me right now. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. You know why Paul's saying that? Because I think at this time in Paul's life, he's feeling grounded by sin. He's feeling that that sinful nature which keeps putting him into slavery, that that's getting the upper hand time and time again. And so in this inverse relationship between sin and his life and who God called him to be, that sin is grounding, grounded. And he's stuck. And so Paul can say of himself, what a wretched man I am. But then Paul goes on. And he asks the all-important question that we need to ask, too. And Paul goes on and he says, who? Not what. Who? Not how. Not how do I get out of this relationship. Not God, help me get over this struggle in my life. That's not what Paul is asking. Paul asks a simple question and he says, who will rescue me? From this body of death. Who will rescue me? That Greek word for rescue is such a descriptive word when we understand the picture behind it. That Greek word for rescue has the idea behind it that there is a dangerous situation that is going on that we are stuck in that dangerous situation and that someone comes along and literally drags our body out of that dangerous situation. That's the idea behind the word rescue. You can imagine, you know, whether it's your house on fire, your car on fire, whatever is going on, that you need to be rescued. And somebody literally comes in and they drag you out of that car or they drag you out of that house. Paul is saying, look at my life. Look at this struggle. Who is going to rescue? Who's going to drag me out of this situation? Because right now I understand that I need to be rescued. Who will rescue me? And then at verse 25, he goes on in, in such a simple way, in such a simple sentence, and he gives us the answer to this question. And he simply says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. While this struggle is inevitable inside of all of us, it is not hopeless. Paul can still say, thanks be to God. The victory, the solution, the answer to this struggle is Jesus Christ our Lord. 
We don't often stop and think about what those words all mean. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I just want to take a minute to uh, talk about those. And uh, Jesus, the earthly name given to God's Son, that name Jesus simply means He saves. And it's already giving us a description of who Jesus is. He's one who comes in to save or to rescue. So Jesus means He saves. Christ Some of you, and I thought this as a kid, some of you might think that Christ is his last name. It's like Jesus Christ, and that's first and last name. Christ is actually a a title that Jesus has, and it simply means the anointed one. It means that God had already, long time before Jesus was on earth, said that somebody would come and rescue human beings. He would be anointed for that position, and that's who Jesus is. Anointed, put into the position to do what God needed done. And that would be to live a perfect life, to die in our place for the sins of the world, to make us right with God. And so Paul says, thanks be to God. Jesus, he saves. Christ, the anointed one, he's our Lord. We would not call Jesus Christ Lord if he had not won. We would not call Jesus Christ Lord had he died and stayed in the grave. But we call Jesus Christ Lord because he died and because he rose victorious. He accomplished exactly what God sent him to do. And we can honestly say about Jesus Christ that he is our Lord. That he is our savior from sin. That he is the one who comes and rescues us in our lives. And so we can say with Paul that this struggle in our lives, we can say thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then Paul wraps up this chapter coming back to reality. And he says, so then, I myself in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law. God's law is my master. It's the thing that controls me. But in the sinful nature... A slave to the law of sin. That sin is the thing that dominates that sinful part of me. Paul says, you know what? This is the way it is. This is the reality in my life. That there will always be this sin nature and there will always be this new man inside of me. But it's not a hopeless situation. And I'm not helpless in this situation. Paul will then go on in chapter 8. And he will talk about two things. And he will say that we need to pay attention in our minds, in this new part of us. We need to pay attention Are we identifying ourselves with this part of us? Or are we identifying ourselves with this part, this force in our lives? And Paul says, look, we're tempted to want to identify with this because we see this in our lives as such a powerful force. And it is. But Paul says, don't allow sin to trick you into thinking that you identify yourself with sin. In your mind, you need to identify yourself with the new person that God has created inside of you. And as you do that, what Paul says is that you will be reminded that the penalty for your sin has already been paid for. And you will be reminded that sin's power over you has been crushed. That it is still there, but it no longer controls you. You as a child of God, sin does not control you anymore. And Paul says that the more that we renew our minds and remember that the penalty for sin has been taken away and that God now lives inside of us, that this struggle with sin will change. 
And the way it changes has to do with that third core element of a simple lever. And that has to do with the fulcrum. This point underneath here where the, that balances the board. And Paul says, as we renew our minds, as we remember on a daily basis that the penalty for our sin has already been paid for, it's already been taken care of, as we daily remember that God lives inside of us, that because God lives inside of us, the control of sin no longer dominates our lives. What Paul says is that that fulcrum will continue to be moved. And that even though sin is a powerful force in our lives, because of what Jesus has done for us, the situation changes. And that while this struggle is inevitable inside of all of us, it is not hopeless. Because God lives inside of you. Paul goes on in chapter 8 and he says that the same Spirit of God which raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. That's where the desire comes from and that's where the strength comes to fight against sin in our lives. The struggle throughout all of life is inevitable. But the situation is not hopeless. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, you know that sin is not just a part of life, it's a part of who we are. And Lord, you know that sin oftentimes has its way with us, that although we have the desire to do what you would want us to do, that even though we want to do good, sin is right there with us. Lord, We can honestly say that sin is a part of our lives. And while we don't like that, Lord, we can also honestly say that we are your children, that you live inside of us, that your spirit, which raised Jesus from the dead, now lives inside of us and strengthens us to fight against the power of sin in our lives. And so, Lord, we ask for your blessing and we ask for your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.